I love how God orchestrates. When you look at the word orchestra, it's a bunch of individual parts coming together to make something beautiful, right? At least I think that's what it is. That's my definition. And the Spirit of God is definitely wanting to communicate something to us this morning. And uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, or maybe you're a regular, and you're saying, boy, this just seemed like it was pretty jubilant this morning, and you're sensing something different in the air, uh, everything is coming together exactly the way God wanted it. So this is a, this is a divine appointment. We're, we're in the midst of something that is powerful. And Kay shared, God gave Kay a word, that was my message. <laughs> so, so it's, and we had other confirmations this morning that God wants to get a message through to us loud and clear. And, and uh, you know, I know there's a lot of different church backgrounds here, and I, I grew up in a different type of church where it was much more... Uh, structured and very reverent and quiet and and so forth and so you might think well this was seemed like it was loosey-goosey is this biblical because that's what we really want to know is this biblical is is what i'm used to average or is it normal biblical christianity and i vote for normal rather than average if that's okay with you all um so the passage of scripture that, that Kay had touched on is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's, a, it's an account that I believe the Lord wants us to learn from so we can leave here today not only saying, well, that was a good word. Uh, I want to be able to read this in my Bible and take it with me so it's something that I can live with from this point forward. And so 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it refers to this account of a, of a battle that was about to take place. And and we all face battles, do we not? And some of you are employed because of people's battles. If you're in the insurance industry, it's because somebody has a conflict. There's a health concern, a car accident. If you're in the medical field, there's, you're, you're there to fix people's problems. If you're a mechanic, you're, you're, you're dealing with somebody's battle and you're bringing a solution to the table. And so if you think about what you do for a living, there's probably many of in here that are solving problems, people's problems and battles. And, and none of us are immune to battles, so the question isn't will we face battles, but how do we face these battles? How does the darkness tremble? How does that happen? Is the darkness trembling right now, or is there something that ignites that trembling within the powers of darkness? So I'd like to expound on this just a bit this morning and, and actually give an opportunity to continue on with where we started this morning. So the, the account here is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's, it's, it took place about 2,800 years ago with a king named Jehoshaphat. And he was the king of Judah, uh, which is referred to uh, in some regards to the, the nation of Israel. And so while Jehoshaphat was the king and ruling in Judah, this opposing, this huge army came up against him. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the first couple of verses, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And some of them came and they told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from the sea, uh, beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is in En Gadi. 
In other words, the word that this king received is the enemy's in your backyard. He's closer than you think. You see, friends, we don't have to go looking for opposition. We don't have to go looking for, for powers of darkness to come to us. Or for, for us, to, we're not immune to them. They come to us all the time. Some of us seem like we're more magnetic to the messes, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like there's always a battle going on. There's a struggle going on. And, and the powers of darkness, they have, they have your address. They know where you live. They, they know how to, to come against you. And they see your loved ones, just like with Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. In this world, we will have troubles that come up against us. The question is, how do we respond to them? You see, Jehoshaphat, he, he, he got this word and, and he recognized this challenge was so much bigger than him. It was way beyond his own capabilities. And, and it says in verse 3 that Jehoshaphat feared and he said his himself to seek the Lord and to proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. In other words, he knew that the solution was so much, so much bigger than what he could find. And, and he knew that the, the problem, the solution to this problem would be found in the presence of the Lord. When he got this word, he didn't start sending out text messages for everybody that he knew. Hey, I need some help. I need some advice. What do you think I should do? When this army came up against him, he didn't say, well, it must be God's will. Because the, here they are, and, and oh well, God's in control. He didn't do that. He didn't go out and buy a self-help book and say, well, how do I work myself out of this one? No, he went to the one source. The one source where he knew that, that would bring a solution that could really do something about his situation. And he proclaimed a fast throughout the land. And we've talked about fasting here the last couple weeks. And the power that's released in fasting, and we get a greater revelation of God. Those messages are on our website. And this is what, what, what Jehoshaphat did. And it goes on to say in the fourth verse that Judah gathered together to, to ask help from the Lord. And, and from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And so they gathered together as one. Just like we're doing this morning. Just like we do on Tuesday nights. We come together and we seek the heart of God. And, and we, we pursue his heartbeat. And, and, and we don't just do this in times of crisis. We do this on a regular basis. Some people just cry out to God and they say, God, I, I'm in a pinch. And that's the only time they go to God. A tragedy happens and they, and they run to God and they say, now I'll fast, now I'll seek his face. And it gives this connotation, this, this mindset that we, when things are bad, you go to God. It's kind of like you go to the dentist only when you have a problem, right? And so some dentists, they're not light because it's like all you deal with is problems. And, and friends, there's so much of a blessing and a benefit for us to come into his presence on a regular basis. And so Jehoshaphat, he, he comes together and he, and he gathers the people. And, and he cries out to God before the people. It's found in verse 6. He says he prays in, in, to God in front of the people. He was a, a godly religious man. He was a spiritual leader. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? See what he's doing? He's coming into the presence of God and he's acknowledging him, his goodness, his greatness, his, his, his power, his might. He didn't just come into the presence of God and say, here's my list, here's what I need. He started off with praise and adoration. And friends, this is, I would encourage you to do the same. 
to begin your prayer time when you go before the Lord acknowledging Him and His goodness. When we approach God with this attitude of gratitude, something is released in the, into the realm of, uh, that ushers us into His perspective when we acknowledge Him and, and His goodness and His greatness. And he goes on to say in this passage, in verse 7, he says, Are you not our God? who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever. And they dwell in it and, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, you will hear and save. So, so here Jehoshaphat is is recounting God's faithfulness. He, he's looking back and he said, you've been faithful, God. You've been faithful. Just like Tim did. He's, he's looking back. He's taking us all back and he said, God was faithful in the past. And this is what Jehoshaphat was. Has God been faithful in your life? When you look back and it seemed like there were times where the bottom was about to fall out or you were at the bottom of your barrel and you said, there is no way I can go on it. And here we are. And God was faithful. And, and not only that, but, but Jehoshaphat remembered not only what God had done, but what God said he would do. He stood on the promises of God. He said, when we humble ourselves and we seek your face, you said that you will, you will reach out, that you will, you will respond. You made this promise to Solomon some 80, 90, 100 years prior. And so what he's doing is he's, he's, he's standing on the promises of God. And friends, there's something about standing on the promises of God. That's why we need to get into the Word of God. Amen? Because we can't stand on the promises of God if we don't know what they are. And so we see this, this, these actions of Jehoshaphat. He's declaring God's greatness. He's, he's giving thanks for what God has done in the past. And he's standing on, his, on the promises of God. And then he presents his need. And he says, and now, here we are, the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. In other words, we left them alone because of your word. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, well, here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. And he says in verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. What a, what a great example. Friends, when you're going through a battle, include your kids in that. Don't isolate them and say, you know what, uh, this is what God took us through a few years ago. Take your kids through it. Use wisdom, use discretion, but man, let them know that, hey, we're in this together. That our faith is real. It, it's not only taught, but it's caught. You follow what I'm saying? I'm not saying we, we, we pollute our kids' minds, but if you're going through a challenge, let them know, hey, God's going to do something here. Mommy and Daddy, we don't have all the answers, but God does. That inspires our children. That way we don't have to raise them up and, and they have this theology that's in their head, but they've never seen it lived out before them by mom and dad. And so when we humble ourselves with, our, with, with, with this unity and this unified effort, we see that God responds. And this is what happened in their situation. In verse 14, it says, The Holy Spirit came upon a guy in the middle of the crowd named Jehaziel, and he gives him a prophetic word for the people. 
a prophetic word for the people. God gives people an anointing to share a prophetic word. Does he not? Did we not see this 20 minutes ago? A prophetic word. God puts a word on someone's heart and they share it. This, this is what, what took place. And it, and it wasn't Jehoshaphat who shared that prophetic word. It wasn't the leader. It was, it was someone else. And, and, and we're, we're to pursue a desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So somebody with this, with this prophetic anointing stood up and this is what they shared. This is what the Lord was saying. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up against, up, up uh, by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness. So he's sharing with them, here's their strategy. This is what they're going to do. And he said, you will need, not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And so the prophetic word was, the battle is not yours, but it's God's. So how did Jehoshaphat respond? It says that Jehoshaphat, he bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so there was this corporate bowing down before the Lord. You know, here in in our culture, sometimes we think we're, we're we're above bowing down before God. Like, we, we like the, the padded chairs, and I'm all for padded chairs, but to bow down, some people would say that's, that's like way old-fashioned. But this is, it was a condition of their heart. They were doing something visible that was a reflection of their heart. They bowed before the Lord. And, and it says that the Levites and, the, and, and these folks, they stood up then and they praised the Lord, God of Israel, with voices loud and high. Okay, remember now, the enemy is right there. And they get this word that, that victory's coming, and they began to celebrate with praise and worship. And, and they went from fear to faith. They went from fear to faith, and the power of God, friends, is released in faith. Amen? I mean, that's where the, that's where the, the, the power of God is released. And so the passage goes on to share, to, to, to expound on what, what Kay had mentioned. It says in verse 20, it says, So they rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood up and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. We want to be established, don't we? Like solid, like we can stand fast. You shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army, in other words, they were in front of the army and they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And I have a hunch they repeated that a couple times. This is what they proclaimed. So in front of the soldiers... This puny little army uh, up against this huge, massive army. And they put the praise and worship team out front. And they say, we want you to sing your hearts out. Sing your hearts out. God is is faithful. What an incredible confidence they had with with God. This very thing that they were fearing, they they were attacking, they were coming into 
with praise and something was being released into the spirit realm. And something was birthed within them and, and they began to praise the Lord before they saw the fulfillment of the promise. Before. They didn't know what God was going to do, but, but they knew that He was faithful. Now friends, in the natural, this would look absolutely what? Absurd. Those guys are nuts. They got a problem on their hands that's huge, way overwhelming, and they're they send the worship team out in advance of the, the actual soldiers. And they began to thank the Lord for what He was about to do. And verse 22 says, when they, when they began to sing in praise, the Lord went to work and somehow God caused the enemy army to be confused. There was confusion in the enemy's camp and they began to actually attack each other. Now, we don't know how that happened if, if God distorted their vision and they're thinking, man, these are the enemies and they started killing each other. Whatever the case was, when the people of Judah arrived by the enemy, they came to find the enemies dead already. And not only were they dead, but they were loaded with jewelry and riches and treasures. So whether this enemy's camp came to the battle and they said, you know what, let's empty out our bank account first and get all cash and bring that with us to the... We don't know. But friends, it took them, verse 25, it took these people of Judah three days to haul away the spoil. It's like, wow, check this out. Not only did we win, but, but we need to get some wheelbarrows. We need to start hauling all this stuff. It took them three days just to haul back the valuables. Isn't that just like God, friends, to pour out His blessings and to give you more than a victory? I see, friends, I could stop here and, and we could say, you know what, what a wonderful story that was. Why don't we do exactly, should we do exactly what Jehoshaphat did exactly? And, and, and will we see the same results? You know, I could say, you know, the battle is not ours, it's, it's God's. And this, this passage of Scripture has been preached, I'm sure, thousands of times. And I'm sure from many pulpits it said, you know what, the battle's not yours, it's God's. He's in control, leave it in His hands and, and bring it to the altar and leave your battle up at the altar and you can walk out and, and you leave your battle behind. And I could do that, but you know what, if I did that, I would be setting you up to fail. I'd be setting you up to fail if I said, leave your battle behind. It's not, it's not yours, it's God's. I'd be settling you up to fail. Now you might think, well, what's up with that? And you see, this is where we need to understand Scripture. We need to understand when we study Scripture. This was a historical account of Jehoshaphat and this battle he faced was Old Testament. It was about 860 B.C. Now within this account, there's some truths that we could grab a hold of and we could say there's timeless truths within this passage. I looked at this and, and I could say, you know, there's things that we can apply to our lives today. And I came up with seven of them real briefly. And I'm not going to put them on the overhead and I'm not going to give you notes. You can dig them out if you don't listen closely. And these are just seven from observation. Number one, there's an enemy surrounding us that wants to take us down. Is that a timeless truth? It absolutely is. He comes in many different shapes and forms, but there is still an enemy who wants to take us down. Truth number two, it is good to approach God with praise and adoration. Just like he did. Check. I'm in, I'm in on that one. I want to come before the Lord and, and, and acknowledge his greatness, his goodness, his faithfulness. We can, we, can, we can follow Jehoshaphat's lead on that one. What about revelation? Revelation comes from God 
through prayer and fasting. Absolutely. Some of you have, have taken my challenge in the last couple of weeks and you said, I'm fasting. And there's been some breakthroughs. There's been some revelation. God wants to reveal himself. What if it's all on the other side of two or three or four days of fasting? Is that worth it? He wants to reveal so much more to us. So this is a timeless truth. Number four, God speaks to his people when they come together in unity. He speaks to us in many ways. He speaks to us through the prophetic. This is still very relevant today. Number five, regardless of the size or the type of your problem, God is bigger. Amen? That's why we need to know the Word. You see, if you've got a problem, what does the Word of God say about that problem? How about if we quote that verse over our problem? Over what appears to be our problem? What if we take the verses out of the Bible that promise us victory, they promise us what we have, and we plaster them over our, our bathroom mirrors and around our house, and we, we, we spoke them out every day over the situation we're facing? That's the truth. Amen? So that's a, timeless, that's a timeless truth. Number six, God confounds the plans of the enemy. He still does that. Friends, if you're in a struggle or if someone you know is in a battle, pray that God would screw up the plans of the enemy. God just thwart their plans. Because there is an attack, there's a, there's a strategy, and God can confuse those strategies. That's something we have the ability to do. We can say, God, dispatch a, 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 a confusion among the enemy that would want to come after us, that would want to come after my situation or my loved one's situation. And number seven, as battles are won, God blesses us in unexpected ways. Right On the other side of the battle, God has so much more for us. He has so much more. So, so here's seven, those are just seven brief, timeless truths from this account that we can grab a hold of and embrace yet today. And with this being said, we might be saying, well, what is it in Jehoshaphat's example that, that doesn't apply to us yet today? What is it that we, we have to say, wait a minute, it, it, it's a different story today. You see, we know that the enemy is still up against us and, 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 and he wants to take from us the very things that God has promised. So what is it in this passage that, that we get to say, wait a minute, we can't follow this to a T. There's something in this passage, in, in this prayer, that Jehoshaphat prayed to God that is different for us today. What is it? It's found in verse 12. This is what Jehoshaphat prayed. He said, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So he starts off and saying, God, there's an enemy against me. There's an enemy against us. Will you bring judgment? Will you, will you condemn this enemy? Will you pronounce a sentence on that which wants to destroy us? Friends, this is not something we need to be asking God to do today. The ungodly spiritual powers influencing our world, they have been judged. It's called the cross of Jesus Christ. He's defeated. We touched on this about a month ago, just before Jesus went to the cross. In John chapter 12 and verse 31, Jesus said, The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. The Apostle Paul wrote about 30 years later, about the year 60 A.D., he wrote to the church in, in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. 
verse 15, he says, speaking of what Christ has done, he said he, he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, friends, at the cross, Jesus totally stripped the, the powers of darkness of their strength and, and, and the ability and the authority over God's people. That's what he did. It's past tense. So, so unlike Jehoshaphat that prayed, God, do something about this enemy, present tense, we can say, thank you, Jesus, for doing something about that enemy 2,000 years ago. Past tense. It's done. Is there more judgment coming? A, a, a finalization to the judgment against the powers of darkness? Yes, there is. But friends, we have, we have the victory. So we don't have to say, God, would you judge? Would you sentence? It's, it's already been done. Now the second part of Jehoshaphat's prayer that we can eliminate from our prayers is when he said, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. That's what he said. Now we have to, again, remember this is Old Testament. This is Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit would empower certain individuals for certain assignments, certain tasks. He would come upon people and they would do supernatural signs. There were powerful events, but it was just here and there. And friends, that changed on the day of Pentecost. That changed on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out on many on, on, on many. Friends, the Holy Spirit is so good. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live for Jesus. Some people say, I could never live for Jesus. I don't want to give my life to Jesus. I'll fail. You don't have to do it in your own strength. The Holy Spirit will do that for you. He will empower you. Christianity is about power. It's about power. I'm not talking power macho or power... Uh, power to rule with an iron fist. It's about powers against the principalities and the rulers of the darkness of this age. The Holy Spirit has all power over everything that was created. Every demonic realm, every effect of the demonic realm, He has the power to, to miraculously heal and to restore. When Jesus came to earth as a man, He was a human being like every one of us. He was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And, and he set aside his powers as God. And he relied on the indwelling Holy Spirit to empower him. So he, has, he had no advantage over us. Are we, are, are we in agreement with that? That he set aside his powers and he relied on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism. And shortly after this, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's the one who has anointed me to preach and to heal and to set people free. He gave the credit to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit descended on him, Jesus didn't say, Listen here, this is my show. Stay away. This is my moment to shine. No, he humbled himself and he was empowered by the Spirit. And when the Spirit came upon him, people looked at this common man. And they said, He looks like every one of us. But look at the power involved here. He speaks to demonic spirits and they, they just shudder and they leave. There's something different. There's something powerful about this man who looks like us. He was raised with us. And there's something powerful, dynamic. And, and Jesus was not only empowered, but the Holy Spirit submitted to the voice of Jesus and, and he would be released into other people upon Jesus' word. 
In other words, Jesus said, Holy Spirit, I want you to go into Livia and Sandy and Nick and Zach. And the Holy Spirit did it. We see this in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We read that Jesus commissioned his disciples to go out into some communities and, and to, to heal all kinds of sickness, not just a few, not just the minor ones, but all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Luke's Gospel records Jesus giving them power and authority over all demons and diseases. In other words, there's nothing that could stand up against these folks. And these appear to have been temporary empowerments. But that was about to change. Because Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. You shall receive power to be witnesses unto me. And so there's an empowerment. And as you read through the book of Acts, you'll see in the days and the weeks and the months and the years following Pentecost that people's lives were radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter after chapter, we read through the book of Acts, Christians filled with the Spirit, doing miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, setting people free from destructive spirits. In other words, they were exercising their their God-given power against the onslaught of the powers of darkness that were surrounding them and destroying the lives of so many around them. You see, friends, this was and still is God's plan for his people today. That's still his plan. When we read through the book of Acts, we can't say, well, those were really special people. We're just as special. He didn't say this is going to expire when the the last page is written in the Bible. We're still living in Acts chapter 29. You hear what I'm saying? There's there's still a story been written. It's not written here, but one day our eyes are going to be open and we're going to say, wow, this is a continuation of the spread of the gospel. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Friends, we never have to cry out like Jehoshaphat. We never have to cry out like he did in the Old Testament and say, God, we are powerless against this opposition knocking on my door. We can maintain constant authority over the powers of darkness, my friends, by remembering that we are leading with Jesus. We are one with him. And so unlike Jehoshaphat, we don't need to ask God to judge the enemy. We have no reason to say we are powerless. And unlike Jehoshaphat, we don't need to cry out and say, God, we have no idea what to do. So we're going to sit back and watch what you do. And friends, let's be honest. We've all said this before. We've been down this road. There's sickness that comes against our lives and against our families whether it's high blood pressure or diabetes or cancer or whatever it was or whatever it is, and, and, and we're not immune to this. There, and, and if it's not a health issue, maybe it's a relational issue, and you say, just, it's my marriage, it's my child, it's my, my relatives, it's my coworkers. There, there's this conflict, and we, tend to, we have this tendency to say, God, do something. Every one of us have done this. Anybody here ever not say, God, do something? It enters the financial burdens and these battles that we face and the bills are piling up and, and the kids are growing like three inches a week and we're buying new clothes, right? And, and, and the, the washing machine is breaking down and the car needs fixing. And, and, and then we got the ongoing pressures that we battle. We have demands on our lives and we have so much going on and we have expectations and, and it seems like the thoughts of just trying harder just never go away. Am I speaking anybody's language? I mean, this is the reality that we, that we have these, these types of battles, and none of us are immune to these, so how do we handle them? You know, we could say, well, the Lord 
spoke to Jehoshaphat in, in his day and to that crowd, and he just said, well, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not yours. We could say, you know, God is sovereign. He'll take care of this darkness surrounding me. We, we could say that. But here's what we need to remember, friends. The battle was the Lord's. It's already done. It's over. The enemy was judged, and Jesus rose from the dead, and he's seated at high. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 10.13 says that he is there at the right hand of the Father, and he's waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. How are the enemies brought under the feet of Jesus? Look at the person next to you. We're his plan. We're his, we're his plan, friends. You see, now the battle is ours. It really is ours. But it's not a battle about defeating the devil. It's a battle about defeating doubt. It's about fighting discouraging thoughts. It's, it's a battle between believing God's word or my experiences or what I've heard on the street. It's a battle between submitting to the flesh or to the spirit. It's a battle of walking between faith and what I see. It's a battle of believing what we say we believe. It's a battle of embracing the love of God or the, the spirit of fear. So how do we respond to these battles, friends? I would suggest there's one more timeless truth that we can find in Jehoshaphat's story, and it's been shared already. There's one more timeless truth. You see, when the people received a revelation from God that victory was theirs, they began to worship. See, it comes full circle. But they really believed it in their, in their minds and in their hearts that, hey, we're victorious. And when they had that revelation hit home, they, they, they began to praise the Lord and say his mercy endures forever. And so am I saying, are you saying, Pastor, when we run into battles, if I'm dealing with some struggle right now that I'm supposed to put my confidence in God and, and just praise the Lord and, and that's going to fix everything, um, those around me are going to think I'm crazy. There's a lot of good religious people who will think you're in denial. You're not facing reality. Friends, you're not in denial. You're in agreement with the truth, with reality. See, the devil hates praise. He just shudders at that. He would love for us to be discouraged. And yeah, How's your day going? Oh, it's just, it's so bad. I got just so much stuff going on. And I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this. The devil, like, high five and look at this Christian. He feels he's powerless. He feels he's defeated. If he only knew. You see, that's the strategy. So the victory comes as we shift focus from the problem to the promise. What does the word say? What does the word say about what we're facing? Is, he, is, is it true that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? Is that really, is that really true? And So we take the problem and the promise into his presence with, with prayer and fast, and we say, God, give me a greater revelation of your goodness. Give me greater insight into aligning my heart with yours, and we, we walk forward in the power of the Spirit, and, and we start to see our challenges 
Uh, I, I love what either Joshua or Caleb said when the, the spies came back and they said, there is no way, it's just too big. And they said, what are you talking about? That's our nourishment. That's going to feed us. That's going to take us even further. And you see, once we see it, we declare it by faith. We declare it by faith and, and we begin to give thanks and, and thanksgiving and praise becomes our weapon to use against those thoughts. This is how we win our battles. This is how we, we change our culture and we bring glory to God. I ask that you would bow your heads. If the worship team would come forward, that would be awesome. And This is a holy moment and I know that you may be thinking, well, what time is it? Forget about the clock, please, just for a few moments and allow God to, to speak to your heart. We serve a victorious God and we're one with him. And he's saying, hey, I got, I got these battles. Go defeat. I, I put them under my, under my feet. Be, be, have those battles turn into a footstool. And, and maybe right now you're here this morning and, and the biggest battle is, is, do I even give my life to Jesus? Do I trust him? And that battle's been going on in your mind. And, and I would just say, today's the day that you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to resist this, this opposition that keeps going through my mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all out. I'm not going to try to just put one foot in the water and, and try this for a bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in and say, Jesus, you're either Lord of all or you're not at all. And so if that's you this morning, I just say, take that step. Recognize that your life is Christ. He who has the Son has life. He who does not, does not have life.